Welcome to Christ in Prophecy and a quick dive into the book of Daniel. I went to Louisville, Kentucky to speak with a man who believes we are on the cusp of witnessing the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies regarding the end times. I've come to Louisville, Kentucky to Southeast Christian Church to sit down with a friend and gifted author who has a unique perspective on what is about to come in the end times as we look forward to the rapture of the church. Doug Cobb is the managing uh, partner of The Finishing Fund, a ministry that seeks to make disciples of every nation on the earth, and something that Doug is actually trying to accomplish by the end of this year. So he takes very seriously the charge to fulfill Jesus' command to all of us to go and make disciples. And he helps others partner together to fulfill that great commission. Doug, I'm so glad you could join me today and very honored to be sitting down with you. Tim, it's great to be here with you to talk about one of my favorite things, the book of Daniel, and uh, to be a part of the Lamb and Lion family. You know, we've enjoyed having Dr. Reagan here at our church in yes. the past. We really enjoyed it. And you guys have both encouraged and challenged me with a whole bunch of good stuff over the years. So thank you for that. Well, praise the Lord. And obviously, uh, Dr. Reagan has loved to come to Kentucky. We have a lot of folks from Kentucky. Uh, we consider this the promised land uh, <laughs> other than Israel. But I'm always glad to come home because obviously I'm from Kentucky. Well, we originally got connected, Doug, because you wrote a wonderful book called And Then the End Will Come. Mm -hmm. And the opening line on the very back cover is what caught my eye. First of all, you said or wrote, we're living in the most exciting times since Jesus walked the earth. And that is a message that resonates in my heart because we tell people the same thing. Open your eyes. We are living in Bible times right now. What did you mean by that statement? My mentor, Paul Eshelman, who for many years ran the Jesus Film Project and then ran Finishing the Task, who's really dedicated his life to this task of finishing the Great Commission, he said many times that if he could live at any time in history, he would choose to live today because so many things are coming together. We're, we're seeing the culmination of the entire church age, I think, in our generation. My particular piece of that is, you know, I, I believe that we will be privileged to be the generation to cross the finish line of the Great Commission, wow. which is a big deal. Uh, but I think that opens the door for other exciting things, even more exciting things that will follow that. So I've, uh, I, I agree with my friend Paul that, you know, this is the most exciting time probably since Jesus walked the earth. I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, I think that people sometimes think we're just going about life as it always has been, but saints throughout the ages look forward to seeing signs that we take for granted today because they're happening all about us. And Doug, so many people, again, for out human history have thought that history just flows along without any real purpose or meaning, yeah. and whether overtly or subconsciously, they reflect the scoffer's attitude of yeah. 2 Peter 3-4, where mm -hmm. Peter wrote, uh, of these scoffers, they would say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. But Daniel, 
and the rest of the prophets specifically said that the events would accelerate as the end draws near. And Daniel himself told about prophecies that we're seeing fulfilled in our own day and age, and he advises us, Paul as well, in 2 Thessalonians 5.4, that we should not allow the thief to, or the, the day to overtake us as a thief in the night. And we should be awake, uh, not asleep like those in the darkness, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I think often about uh, the generations of believers who've come before us who have worked on these missions that we are now close to seeing completed with no hope of seeing it done. You know, those, those courageous first Christians, Paul and Barnabas and Silas, who went out to take the gospel for the first time to Turkey, to Asia Minor, to uh, Europe. And then the heroes of the 19th century, you know, who went for the first time to China and India and Burma, you know, and endured incredible hardships with really no hope of seeing every nation engaged with the gospel. And yet here we are um, right at the finish line, right you know, on the final lap of the race. Sadly though, almost nobody is aware that these things are true. Um, you know, Barna says that most believers in churches don't even know what the Great Commission is. They can't really give you a great definition of it. And very, very few have any sense of, you know, the impending conclusion of it. And I just love telling that story and, you know, helping to pe get people excited about what, what's happening in our day. Well, it is certainly exciting to know what is happening if you'll just open your eyes mm -hmm. to see. And, and so, you know, look around and, and not at the gloom and doom, but at what is excitingly happening to fulfill the promises of God. You know, we'll turn to some very specific prophecies in just a minute, but we have to point out that there are false prophets of yes. prosperity today that would tend to tell Christians and believers there's nothing in store for us but good in terms of physical and material blessing, and that is directly contradicted by what Jesus said in John 16, 33. He said that in the world you will have trouble, and I think Daniel is instructive to us today who want to be faithful to God because he makes it clear we will be prosecuted and persecuted. He was a righteous man, and yet he was persecuted time and time again, as were his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we know that those men in those ancient times exhibited tough faith. For instance, what did his three friends do when threatened with a fiery furnace? Yeah, well, they were told to worship the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they just refused to do it, not out of obstinacy, but out of reverence for the, the true living God who said, you know, you'll worship only me. And they weren't going to be persuaded to change their minds even by the fear of death. And to uh, use a phrase from today, Nebuchadnezzar decided to enact a, a cancel culture. He what did. was he going to do? Yeah, if you don't do this, into the fire. Right? Into the fire. Yeah, we think that somebody's going to cancel us off social media, but that's the least of the worries of people who are threatened with death yep. and horrific, tragic death as yep. those guys were. Yeah, exactly. And yet, beautifully, because they were faithful, what happened even as they were cast into the fire? Yeah, so, you know, he says, he, he brings the threat right to a head and, you know, personalizes it. You will be put in the fire. And there's this beautiful response that they give where they express their faith in God, but their willingness to die if necessary, where they say, you know, our God can save us and he yes. will save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down and worship this thing that you have have put up. I love that he, he can and he will, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to change we our We are going to remain faithful. That's tough faith. We talk about yes. having tough love, tough hope, but that is tough faith demonstrated. And beautifully, their faith and God's 
deliverance actually convicted and convinced that pagan king. So how did he respond to what he witnessed there in the flames? Yeah, he, um, he looks into the furnace and he, he's obviously shocked. He says, didn't we throw three people in there uh, bound? And of course everybody said, yeah, that's right. Well, how come I'm seeing four people walking around in there? And one of them, he says, is like a son of the gods. Um, and I was just teaching this this weekend in my Sunday school class. Pretty evidently, that would be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, yes. uh, what, you know, a, a theophany or a Christophany in the, in the technical language, yes. right? Yeah, and it's a beautiful picture because I believe personally that that was Jesus Christ right there with those guys, mm -hmm. protecting them, preserving them. And even if they had perished, mm -hmm. he would have protected and preserved them mm -hmm. because of the faith they demonstrated. And that's true for us today. If we will be faithful to the Lord, he will protect and preserve us. We may undergo different trials and tribulations, but our hope is not in this life, it is in the life eternal. You know, Tim, one thing that we get to do through the Finishing Fund is support these folks who are willing to go to these last people groups that no one's ever been to in some of the hardest places on earth, India, China. Um, and in these groups, they face tremendous persecution and ostra they're ostracized for if they become Christians, right? It, it's real for them. It may be coming for us, uh, but you know, if we can see those people standing firm, being faithful, we can stand with them through whatever whatever happens to come. We certainly can. And I think Daniel also is instructive in this regard. You know, today you hear Christians express frustration that our society and our culture is turning against Christian faith, and it certainly is. But Daniel lived in a pagan kingdom where, again, his life, the life of his friends were threatened because of their obedience to God, and yet he remained faithful while living and serving in that very pagan kingdom. And he recorded numerous visions because he was faithful. The Lord gave him insight. For example, you know, we talk about Nebuchadnezzar and his great statue that he envisioned, and Daniel described mm -hmm. what that meant. But Daniel later saw a parallel vision of beasts from God's perspective, mm -hmm. representing the same series of mm -hmm. kingdoms. And yet Daniel, again, because he was faithful, was privileged to see in a vision the Ancient of Days yeah. sitting on his very yeah. throne in heaven. Yeah. This is worth getting exactly right. It you know, is worth getting exactly right. This, this is a, a beautiful you know, passage out of Daniel chapter 7. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Mm. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and the peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And there's so many unbelievable things in that, but you know, Jesus frequently called himself the Son of Man. That was one of his favorite titles for himself. He, he used this exact image. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. It's, it's what got him convicted in his trial uh, of blasphemy. Uh, but then there's this mention here, uh, this Old Testament mention of the Great Commission, all nations and yes. the peoples of every language, that, that God's gospel kingdom is going to include every nation, every people group on the face of the, of the earth. What a beautiful promise that is. It is a beautiful promise. I know it's one that resonates in your heart. And it is thrilling to me to see Daniel present Jesus Christ as this son of man mm -hmm. who is coming with the clouds. 
Uh, I will, before we move back to that focus, which obviously this series is about Jesus in the Old Testament, Daniel also provides us one other example I think is worthy of emulating. And that is, as I said, Daniel was a man who was righteous in his day and age. And yet, when he recognized that the time of God's prophetic promise, the 70 year exile was drawing to an end, Daniel took upon himself to do what on behalf of his nation and his people who were straying from the Lord. Now, you know, there's certain mountaintop chapters in the Bible and uh, Daniel chapter nine would be one of those. Yes. And it begins with this high priestly prayer of Daniel. Now he's not a priest technically, right? Um, he's a, a, you know, a, a government official, but he prays this prayer of repentance and positions himself actually as the, the repenter on behalf of his, of his people, right? He's probably the most righteous man among all of the, the Israelites at that time, among all of the Jews, but, um, but he stands in their place. It's really a, a beautiful image. It's a type really of what Jesus did, standing in our place, taking our sins on himself and, and making uh, atonement for, uh, for us to the Father. That's a beautiful sentiment. He does become a type of Christ in that role. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people today lament the state of our, our nation, the world itself. How many of us take personally mm. a sense of responsibility to repent on behalf of the human race, on behalf of our, of our society, on behalf of our family, let alone on my daily shortcomings? So Daniel, I think, is a great exemplar. Well, we both already touched on this likely Christophany and the type of the Messiah that's mm -hmm. represented in Daniel, but he also talked about the timing of the Messiah's return. He said that the Messiah would arrive after 69 weeks and then he would be cut off. Mm -hmm. And after an unknown interval, mm -hmm. a coming prince would make a covenant with the Jews for a week, mm -hmm. but will renege halfway through that period of time. And then the rebuilt temple would be desolated once again. And so we understand that Daniel 9 and 12 point to this horrible period that we refer to as the tribulation mm -hmm. and to the coming Antichrist. Mm -hmm. But even in the midst of that prophecy, there is hope. Mm -hmm. What is that? The hope is, is that right after that, Jesus comes back, <laughs> amen, right? You know, amen. And so, you know, in, in the book, I talk about that, you know, things are probably going to get harder for us as the end gets nearer. Um, we're not used to that very much in the United States. We've no. been safe and free here, but probably it's going to get harder. Um, but the good news is, is that's not going to last very long no. because that artificial kingdom, worldwide kingdom of the Antichrist is going to be swept away and the permanent true kingdom of Jesus Christ will be established. Oh, I can hardly wait. You know, night lasts for a moment, but the mm -hmm. day is coming. Mm -hmm. And so things are growing darker, but the dawn will arrive and with that, the sun. Uh, chapter 12 mm -hmm. focuses on the end times in particular. I know that resonates it in does. your heart. So in addition to addressing the tribulation and the rapture or the resurrection, Daniel offers us some clues about how we can discern that the end times is imminent. Mm -hmm. uh, verse four of Daniel 12 is, it's, it's uh, almost a throwaway verse. You could read the book, read, read the book a hundred times and never pay attention to it. But what it says is, is that at that time of the end, uh, that human knowledge and human movement will increase dramatically. And in, in my book, I go into, you know, some kind of examination of that idea, but I don't think there's any question that we're living in the time of, you know, the greatest explosion of knowledge that anyone's ever seen. Some people think knowledge may be doubling on a daily basis now, you know, and of course no one can even begin to hold a, you know, a part of that in their head. But also transportation, you know, I like to think about the fact that 200 years ago, the fastest that anybody had ever moved from one place to another was as fast as a horse can gallop. That's what right. is that, 20 or 30 miles an hour yeah. maybe? And 
and, and not for very long, right? And um, and then of course trains come 80 miles an hour. Oh my goodness! And then the DC three 200 miles an hour. You know, oh my gosh! And now we take it for granted that we can get on an airplane and go 600 miles an hour, and you know, distances have been dissolved by that really. Certainly. And so that little verse, verse four, that you know seems like, well, gosh, what could that be? perfectly describes the era that we're living in. It's one more clue, I think, that we're living in the time of, of Jesus' return. I do as well. Every time I take a group to Israel, which we'll do uh, usually once a year or twice, people complain, wow, that was a long flight. And I say, <laughs> well, you know, what you did in a matter of hours would have taken weeks, just 100 to 150 years ago, even on a steamship, yeah. as uh, Mark Twain did. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, I find it encouraging to know that as wise and discerning as Daniel was, mm -hmm. and he was gifted with visions, even he grew frustrated that he could not understand all that he was recording about the visions the Lord was revealing to him. So how did God respond when Daniel voiced his inability to understand, and how does that response motivate our excitement that Jesus is coming soon, even today. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you know Daniel asks a question, right? I, I didn't understand, so I asked a question, like, what do these things mean, right? And the answer is a little ambiguous, but the angel actually gives him a pretty interesting little hint in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 12 uh, that I think may be very significant, actually. Um, most commentators on Daniel kind of slide past verses 11 and 12. It's not clear at all what they mean. But I think that 11 and 12 may be a chapter 12 parallel to the chapter 9 verses that we were talking about. Chapter 9 talking about the coming, the first coming of the Messiah. Right. Chap verses 11 and 12 of chapter 12 talking about the second coming of the Messiah. It would make sense to me that if God would reveal that to anybody, he would reveal it to Daniel, right? So what, what would you assume is part of the timing uh, that that sets up in this portion of chapter well, 12? Well, uh, I think it points to, you know, the time we're living in as the time of the return. The, the key to understanding those verses is the, picking the beginning point. It talks about the end of the sacrifice. And folks have a number of different ideas that may be a future sacrifice that hasn't even been started yet that may be ended. That's possible. It may refer to the Romans in 70 AD or Antiochus Epiphanes at the time of the Maccabees. But I think in context, if, if you said that to Daniel, the end of the sacrifice, what would come to his mind would be sometime during the Babylonian captivity when the Babylonians had leveled the temple and right. ended the sacrifice. So in the context of the conversation, I think it refers to that point in time and then begins an interval that points into the future, kind of like chapter nine does, and points to a time right around the time that we're living. We can't know precisely because no. we don't know when that sacrifice ended, but Granted. we can know generally when that time would be. You mentioned earlier about mountaintops of mm -hmm. prophecy and how I think even the prophets themselves sometimes stood on a mountaintop, metaphorically, mm -hmm. yes. gazing ahead, and they could see other peaks, but what they couldn't discern is how deep and how wide were the valleys between those peaks. And anybody who's traveled in the mountains understands this. You see a mountain and you say, oh, that's just you know right around the corner. But if you travel there, you've got to wind and wind. Yeah. It's many more miles right. than you anticipate. But the other beautiful thing in the, the response to Daniel's question of, I don't understand, in verse 9 it says, go your way, Daniel, for mm -hmm. these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Yeah. And then at the end of verse 10, when it talks about many will be purged, purified, and refined, mm -hmm. it said, those who have insight mm -hmm. will, understand. will understand. And what that tells me is even this great prophet didn't have the, 
the perspective at that moment in human history. But now as we look back, we have a lot of hindsight on things. We know who Jesus was because he has come. Mm -hmm. Daniel was looking forward mm -hmm. to this coming son of God, mm -hmm. but we can see that in hindsight. So there's things that we can understand more clearly today. That he couldn't. That yeah. he couldn't. Think and about that in the context of you know just our own lives. Often God's answer to, will you explain this to me is, not yet, not you don't yet. need to know that, or I'll tell you when the time is right. Corey Bent Tin Boom tells that great story of her father saying, when do I give you the ticket when you're, we're traveling on the train? Just before we board, right? Mm. You don't need it now, you'll need it then. So, and I think that's true in the scriptures too, that God often will say, you know, you don't need to know that now. Acts would be an example of that. The disciples ask, when are you coming back? And he says, Go tell everybody about me. Don't worry about that. Don't worry right? about that. It's not your not your problem. My famous uh, adage is, I can't wait till I get some patience. And so I'm an, <laughs> I'm an impatient person yeah. by by nature. But in this regard, I'm willing to wait upon the Lord because yeah. Scripture tells me to wait upon the mm -hmm. Lord and trust that He has the timing perfectly in hand, and yes. He certainly does. Well, Doug, this returns us back to your book yep. that offers great hope to Christians today, because you argue that we're at the brink of reaching every people group mm -hmm. on the earth with the gospel. And I've seen studies of how many people groups there are. So this tribe or this dialect, mm -hmm. and literally we've worked through thousands. thousands. It was down to hundreds just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And you say that either through verbal or in print sharing of the gospel, we are virtually on the brink of completing that great commission to every tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth. When that happens, what do you suggest? So tell us a little bit more about just the thesis of your book and what that will mean. So this is an amazing thing that's happening that out of, you know, about 12,000, a few more than that, of these people groups on earth, we're down to the last couple of hundred that nobody's ever been to tell them about Jesus. And hundreds are being reached every year for the first time. So we are really, really close. I hope we'll be started in all of them by the end of 2022. God may have a different plan about that. That's what I've been praying about and working toward. I hope maybe that'll be, be the case. But what really excites me about that is this promise of Matthew 24, verse 14. That chapter, very familiar to students of Bible prophecy, the disciples ask at the beginning, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus describes a lot of things, wars, rumors of wars, apostasy, persecution. Right. But in verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. I, I think it is probably the most definitive answer in the Bible to when the second coming of Jesus will be uh, in a direct response to a question about that. And I think that when we finish, that opens the door uh, in a way that it would not have been open up till that point. I think about it like this, Jesus gave us a job to do. Go mm -hmm. tell everybody about me, make disciples of every nation. I'll come back when you're done, right? And so Amen. I wanna hurry and get that done. I'd like, to see, uh, I'd like to see his return. Well, and you actually point out the passage in Second Peter where it refers mysteriously to our ability to hasten that yes. day. Yeah, that and so we have, I don't understand how that works, but I just read the passage and I say, all right, Lord, there's a, a role I play in fulfilling what you've commanded to quote unquote hasten that day. He knows the timing, I don't, but I still have a job to do. Well, your book also offers other signs, nine of them to be specific, pointing to the imminent or soon return of Jesus Christ. What, what are some of those signs you see culminating, as you mentioned, as we open? Well, I mean, one would be one that's familiar to your audience, which is the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. I think Jesus pretty clearly in Matthew 24 promises that the generation that 
is alive to witness that event will also be alive to witness his return. We can't know exactly how long that is, you know, how, how many years a generation is. Does that mean a little baby born then will still right. be alive? I mean, there's mysteries about that. But, uh, and you know, of course, that regathering of Israel is one of the most amazing things in the history of the world. I personally think it's one of the greatest apologies for the existence of a sovereign God that you can make, especially when you realize that right. he prophesied the scattering of the nation in Deuteronomy 28 and the regathering of it in Deuteronomy 30. Right. Before they even came into the land, exactly. he'd already said that thousands of years in the future, I'll do these things, you know? So that would be one powerful one. Um, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Luke talks, uh, the, the gospel writers talk about that the uh, days of Jesus' return will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And I think there's double meaning in that. One level would be that people will be surprised in the same way that the people at that time were surprised by the judgment. But it's interesting that he picks those two particular incidents, partic instances of particular wickedness right. in the world. And so I expect that we will see what we are seeing, which is increasing wickedness in our culture, the decline of our culture, really the breakdown of it. And I would expect that to continue to, uh, you know, to get worse until we see the return of Jesus. I would too. And using those examples, uh, the angels went and Lot was demonstrating a life of righteousness even in the midst of paganism. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So even as the world grows darker and, and more wicked, we should continue to preach righteousness through our lives, through our testimony, mm -hmm. through the sharing of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people right now, some of our viewers perhaps, are consumed with fear and anxiety. And if that is the case, regardless of wars and rumors of wars, economic stress, moral and cultural degradations, mm -hmm. when we as Christians are tempted to despair, we are instead commanded to exercise, as Daniel and his friends did, tough faith. What would you say to our viewers to encourage them in such a time as this? You know, a verse that I've been trying to employ in my own life is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So we tend to get our eyes pretty fixed on politics or culture or COVID or whatever it is that's happening. And there's plenty of those things to look at and we're naturally drawn to those things. But what Paul is advising there is, no, let's, let's keep our eyes on the unseen kingdom of God, because that is the thing that is more real more permanent, more eternal than any of these things that we're worried about today. So Amen. hard to do, but really worthwhile if you can do it. Well, Doug, thank you for your time. Thank you. For your insights and for what you're doing to fulfill the Great Commission of God. Godspeed. Thank you. It is impossible to capture the book of Daniel in a single episode of Christ in Prophecy. We've discussed this book many times before and we'll return to it again if the Lord tarries. Daniel exhibited tough faith and while exiled in a pagan land, we're also exiles living in an increasingly pagan land. Yet we too are called to be faithful. God is able to protect us in this evil age, but more importantly, He's promised eternal life to all who put their faith in Him. Daniel saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus relished that title, Son of Man. That prophetic Christophany also points to His glorious second coming, something we look forward to with great anticipation. The power of prophecy is captured in our two key verses from Daniel. We hope you're picking your own key verses and invite you to visit our website to read our key verse commentary. Doug Cobb's book, And Then the End Will Come, offers exciting insights to end-time prophecies given by Daniel, Jesus, and others throughout Scripture. He encourages us to be proactive about obeying the Lord until He calls us to Himself. 
For a gift of only $20, including shipping, we'll be glad to send you a copy of And Then the End Will Come. This book will explain how God wants you to partner with Him to share His gospel plan with the world and why that task is so urgent. Christians of old may have lacked clear understanding of end time prophecies, but they were highly motivated to share the gospel, live holy lives, and keep their eyes on our Savior. At Lamb and Lion Ministries, we advocate a hunger for understanding Bible prophecy, but we also encourage urgent evangelism, holy living, and yes, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Until next week, this is Tim Moore and Nathan Jones saying, Look up, be watchful, for the Son of Man, whose kingdom will include people from every language, is drawing near. Yeah.